Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Synergy Cast. I'm your host, Sonia Joffer, and election day is coming up, y'all. Yes, it's coming up sooner than we know it. November 3rd, 2020. Put it in your calendar, put it in your Google calendar, put a notification on that because everybody needs to vote in this coming election. And that's what we are going to talk about in today's episode. So please join my friend Kristen and I in a conversation all about voting. We discuss why it's important to vote, the different ways you can vote in this coming election, and the importance of getting youth involved in the voting process. So if you want to check out Kristen on Instagram, you can do so at sparks underscore votes, and that's in the episode notes as well. Also in the notes, you will find a bunch of resources that Kristen was super kind enough to gather together for you all, and they're also referenced throughout today's episode, so you can find those all in the episode notes. If you want to figure out where to register to vote, if you want more resources to be better informed when you vote, Also, if you want to sign up to be a poll worker in Chicago and you're free and able to do so, it's a paid position, so please go check that link out in the episode notes. There's also a bunch of more resources and links in there that were used as references in today's episode with some of the information that we share with you all today. So please, without further ado, I'm going to play the conversation that we had, and I hope you all enjoy listening to today's episode, and I also hope that all y'all go out and vote and register to vote because it's super important. All right, everyone, enjoy the conversation. So welcome to the show, Kristen. I'm so excited to have you on. I know we're going to talk about a really relevant topic today that's really important to talk about. So thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Of course. Uh, so before we dive into our conversation, I know we're going to talk about voting today. Um, and what would you like to share about yourself to the listeners so they can get to know you a little bit? Sure. So I'm Kristen. I have lived in Chicago for about 13 years, but I grew up in Wisconsin. I actually grew up in Kenosha, which has been in the news lately. So it's been an interesting time. Uh, and I went to school at UW-Madison, studied sociology and Spanish and then moved to Chicago right after college to work in an AmeriCorps program and worked in education for about 10 years, took a short break to do some organizing back in Wisconsin in the 2018 election. And now I work at a nonprofit that does civic engagement with teenagers. Um, I live in Chicago. I have two cats. I like riding my bike. And every year I try to read my age in books. So, like, I read 34 books last year, which is... Damn. That's impressive. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. It started as a goal when I was 31, and I've tried to keep it going. And the more the world outside of books becomes crazy, the more I enjoy reading and having an escape. So, highly recommend. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think I might I might start doing that. I'm 24, so I got 24 books to read. Well, also, I'm in grad school, so I feel like <laughs> I probably read 24 books already just in school. Yeah, this definitely started after grad school because I had a renewed interest and time also for for reading. So it might be tough for when you're in grad school. 
Yeah, definitely. But thank you for sharing all that about yourself. And also, I know we are going to be talking about voting today. So, and you did mention that you work a lot with youth in many different settings in the community. So what got you interested in the topic of voting and also working with youth as well? Because I know we're going to talk about how that goes hand in hand a little bit towards the end. So I grew up in Wisconsin and I think Wisconsin is a pretty interesting place in terms of a lot of like social wellness programs got started there uh, and it has pretty strong labor movement roots. So my mom was a teacher and I feel like she was always involved somewhat in politics um, because of her job and my grandpa worked for a newspaper when I was growing up and was part of a union and so I feel like I grew up reading the news, knowing about politics as they related to jobs and unions and um, was just really interested in politics. I was thinking, as I brainstormed for this, for this podcast, I was thinking about when I was in the second grade, we learned about civil rights, the civil rights movement and about uh, civil disobedience and our class staged a protest in front of the principal's office demanding the right to be able to play on the snow at recess. And we won that right for the whole school. If you wore snow pants, you could play on the snow at recess. And then I think around the same time, my brothers and I staged a protest in our living room and had signs getting paid for our chores. And so I think from an early age, I was interested in movements and how you can make change happen uh, and saw the effects of that in my house and in my school. And then, I started working in education because I thought that was kind of like a root for a lot of issues in our society. It starts with education and the lack of education that some people are provided with. I really enjoyed that for a long time. Um, I love working with youth. They have so much good energy and just like different ideas. Um, and after 2016, I was working with first generation college students who were mostly Latinx and Black, and just seeing the struggles that they were facing on college campuses and how hard it was just <laughs> to be a person of color in 20, I mean, it always has been, but in 2016 in particular, it felt dangerous in a way that it had not openly felt dangerous in a while. And so I decided I wanted to work more directly in politics and helping young people of color in particular access their voice and feel confident that their voice was powerful and needed in many of these conversations because they were often not being included on their college campuses, not being asked for their opinions or welcomed in a lot of spaces. And so that's kind of when I transitioned from working more in education to more hands-on political work. And so far I've been enjoying it and it's great to see I think the movements that have been developing among young people in politics right now are particularly encouraging and give me hope. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for sharing all that. I think it's always interesting for me to hear like how people got to where they're at now. So it's really cool to like hear your story and it's like such a cute story, but also very powerful, like how it started in your elementary, like in your grade school, like with that protest that you had with your principal. That kind of was like the spark that ignited your interest in, in using your voice, you know, to speak up about important things. It started when you were a youth. And so it's interesting to, for me to see how now you work with youth in that same area too, which I think is really cool. For sure. Yeah. And it's great to see, like, it can just be that one event. So, you know, I'm sure there were a ton of experiences that influenced me, but 
looking back, that one experience of having a protest outside our principal's office was probably enough to make me realize when you voice your opinion, things can change. And I think working with young people, you get to see those same experiences of maybe they talk to a voter when they go to make phone calls at a candidate's office, or maybe they go to a protest and then they see that something changes. Or we took students to Iowa this past year and just being able to meet candidates, those things can change their opinion about what their engagement and what their voice can do. So it's wonderful to see how that can spark maybe a lifetime of engagement that otherwise might not have happened. Yeah, exactly. And I I also like the point that you made, because I've worked a lot with youth myself, and I enjoy it for many reasons, especially some of the reasons you described. And I I really felt that when you said it kind of gives you hope a little bit, because you just see all these like new, fresh, budding ideas and this energy. And I think as you grow older, as an adult, you kind of lose that energy. But then for me personally, why I love working with youth and adolescents in particular is because you're around that energy so much that it's hard for it not to be contagious. And you you feed off of that, too. Definitely. Yeah. Keeps keeps you young and keeps you energetic. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Um, So for listeners that have not registered to vote yet or don't know how to go about doing that, what are just some general ways that people can register to vote? Yeah, so it varies by state, but here in Illinois, we are lucky to have very um, supportive and like open election laws. So in Illinois, you can register online. Um, And I think I put the link in the notes if people want to register online right now. Um, You can also go to the DMV or the Secretary of State's office and register in person. You can mail in a form. Uh, You can print it off and mail the form in. And again, I put the link in the notes. So there's a lot of ways you can also register in person through an early voting site or on election day at your polling place. But essentially you have from now until November 3rd in Illinois to get registered to vote. Um, But some other states close their registration earlier and don't have same day registration where you can register on the day of the election. So it's really important you look it up now because some of those will close before the end of September. So it's really timely that people look it up um, but again, if you're in Illinois or Chicago, I put the links in the notes so hopefully people can take advantage. Yeah, thank you for including all those resources and for breaking that down because I myself am like still trying to get to know the many different ways to vote. And I know like, especially due to the pandemic, there's a lot of different shifts in the way that we can vote. Um, this is like the second election that I'll be voting in. So I'm still trying to get to know everything. So. Yeah, thank you for breaking that down. That was super helpful. For sure. Yeah, and if people want to vote by mail, you can request now through the end of October, but the sooner the better, just because we know there are issues right now with the post office. And you can also request a mail-in ballot in Illinois and uh, take it to a Dropbox. You don't have to mail it back. You can go to an early voting site and just put it in a Dropbox that's there. And you'll be able to track your ballot, too, to make sure that it gets submitted and gets counted. So I will put some resources, for sure, in the notes. But very excited that Illinois has made some changes this year for the pandemic to make it easier to vote by mail. 
to have those drop boxes. Election day is a holiday in Illinois now, so all schools will be closed and the polling places, therefore, will be like much more open and not as many people around, so hopefully it'll be safer too. Yeah, definitely. Really hoping that that shifts the way people <laughs> choose to vote and also perceive voting. Um, and it's really important to vote. Like that's, that's super important. And there's so many different ways to vote, like Kristen just mentioned. So there's really no excuse. Like if you feel like you don't want to go out and do it in person, there's alternative ways. So figure out the way that works best for you and do that because it's super important to vote. And we're going to kind of dive into a little bit here about that exactly why it's so important and i know on this podcast i like to talk a lot about social justice issues and see how that's interconnected with everything else that i talk about and i see voting as no different than that so how is voting a social justice issue what do you, what do you think about that yeah so i think voting has for our country's entire history said this is who we value, or this is who we think counts and whose opinion counts. Um, and so when you look at the constitution, it was white land owning men, and that's who they thought counted. Um, and I think we have had a long battle in our country for including everybody else, as our founding documents say, you know, like every person is endowed with these rights. Um, and so, it's been a battle for people to get those rights throughout time and to say all of these votes and voices count. So, you know, it was in 1864, I believe, when the 15th Amendment said that people couldn't be denied the right to vote based on their race, but there were still poll taxes, many other ways that people were not allowed to vote. And so it wasn't until um, the Voting Rights Act and the 24th Amendment in the 60s that guaranteed the right to vote. Um, and that's like in my parents' lifetime. <laughs> like that, my parents were in elementary school when that happened. And so it's not that long ago that it took for us to say like black people's voices count. Um, and as I was researching, I didn't even realize it wasn't until 1975 that the rights of language minorities were protected and you have to provide ballots in different languages in places where those languages are used by a large portion of the population. It wasn't until 1982, which is like not that long before I was born, in which rights for people with disabilities to vote were guaranteed. And so um, polling places had to be made accessible. There had to be options if people couldn't physically get to a polling place. And so I think when I think about voting, I think about the fact that our country started with these ideals and how we enacted those ideals was very far from what it should have been in 1776. So we said everybody has these rights and should be equal. But until now and continuing right now, we have not given people the right to have a voice in what is happening in their community and who isn't representing them. Um, and so I think it's a social justice issue in that we need to keep pushing to make sure that everybody is valued and everybody's voice counts and everybody has a say in the decisions made in their community. Yeah, that's all, those are all some really important points that I'm really glad that you highlighted stuff throughout history 
And you're right, it wasn't too long ago that <laughs> this stuff happened, and it should have been since day one, right? Um, so I think that's all really important to highlight. And also, you mentioned how even still present day, there are still limitations and barriers for people and their voting. So what are some limitations that you see nowadays that still need to be changed and addressed, um, especially barriers that make it difficult for BIPOC in specific? Because I know we mentioned that earlier too. For sure. So there are a whole list of things happening right now that are extremely frustrating. Um, because like I said, you know, until the 60s were formally excluding people from voting. And now I think it's moved to more undercover, coded ways to try to prevent people from voting. And so there are a lot of movements by um, mostly Republican-led legislatures and uh, governors to enact voter ID laws with the guise that they want to prevent voter fraud. Um, there is virtually no voter fraud in the United States. They've done multiple studies. And it's like less than one-tenth of one percent of cases of voter fraud. Um, but what voter ID laws actually do is discourage low-income, elderly, young people of color from voting. Um, they're much less likely to have an ID that qualifies. And even in some states, um, they are purposely excluding types of IDs that by POC might have. So in... I believe in 2016, they did a study in Wisconsin that Black people were 50% more likely to not have the type of ID needed to vote. And according to this study's author, anywhere between 12 to 23,000 voters did not vote specifically because they did not have an ID. So it's a huge barrier um, and a, a way that they're trying to suppress votes. I think also, there has been a lot of action, thankfully, recently around restricting the rights of people convicted of felonies. Um, so in our country, I believe one third of black men at some point in their life will be convicted of a felony. And in many states, those people, in almost every state, all but two, people who are convicted of felonies lose their right to vote while they're in jail. In many states, that right to vote is restored after they serve their sentence and any probation. In some states, though, they have to apply for a pardon from the governor in order to get their voting rights reinstated. And in some states, they just never reinstate them. So in Florida, luckily in 2018, an amendment passed to restore voting rights. There were almost a million people who were stripped of their voting rights for life because they were convicted of a felony. And because we know our country's criminal justice system often criminalizes Black men, that deprives them of the right to vote for a period of time or for their whole lifetime, which is just another way that I think it's a social justice issue to ensure the right that everybody can vote and then also to show up and vote once you have that right to help speak for those who, who maybe cannot vote at that time. Yeah, exactly. I think those are all really, really important points. And that's something that I also have learned about myself is how every state has such weird laws regarding voting, especially towards people that were formerly in prison. So I think that's like so problematic because 
I was like speaking to my partner earlier today and I was explaining to him how like what you just mentioned, how like different states operate in different ways with that. And he was like, what? Like they really don't allow people to vote even if they were in prison. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, what about all those people that were just put in jail for no reason, basically like petty drug, you know, crimes here and there they also lose their right to vote for a period of time or in some cases forever for a lifetime just because of little petty crimes too. So he, he was like really shocked by that. And I was like, yeah, it's basically like a modern day Jim Crow, <laughs> literally. Awesome. Yeah. Like there is a pretty clear tie between black people being guaranteed the right to vote by the 15th amendment and then changing laws to criminalize black people so that they would not be able to vote um, shortly after that passed. And so I think there's like a concerted effort to create these behaviors that will allow people to be disenfranchised from voting. Um, and even thinking about people in jail just because they can't afford bail, so haven't been convicted of any crimes, those people often aren't given in a way to vote. Uh, so Cook County, just for the first time, last year was able to take poll workers into the jail to have people who were in jail just for bail vote in person. But when we think about, you know, how many people are sitting in jail who haven't been convicted of anything even, they, they just can't afford to pay to get out while they're being charged, um, those people aren't allowed to vote. And so, you know, I think this system, there is a lot of room for improvement. And I think Part of the way we improve is by paying attention and educating ourselves, but also by participating in the system and making our voices heard so that hopefully we can change who is given the right to vote and make sure that it's available to everybody. That just reminds me of a really popular critique that I've heard a lot of people share is that, well, why don't people just vote? Like, why don't people, instead of having to protest quote unquote violently or get all in your face about being being like out there protesting, why don't they just vote? Because that's what's really gonna cause change. I've heard that critique a lot. And mm -hmm. yeah, I would just if you if you want to share some of your thoughts, like how would you respond to somebody that is saying that? Yeah, I think it's a privileged position to be in to say such a thing because you're not thinking about perhaps voter ID laws, you're not thinking about transportation. So there are a lot of states that have limited the number of polling places. So I put a link to an article in the notes about um, there are seven counties in Georgia that have one polling place for the entire county. And so if you are a low income person without a car, it is extremely hard to get to where you need to go to vote. Voting takes place on a Tuesday during a work day. A lot of people don't have the flexibility to take time off to go vote. And especially our country is very stratified economically by race. And so often people who have jobs that don't get time off, that don't have flexibility to leave a little early to go vote are people of color. So I think it ignores the reality of how much access we have. And I think especially in Illinois, we have so many options, right? There's early voting, there's voting the day of, you can register a lot of different ways. And so I think that makes it much easier, but there are a lot of places where that isn't the case. And people don't feel that their voices are being heard. And so I think a lot of protests this summer 
have been from people who have legitimate anger at the fact that the system does not change. You know, we look at the candidates who we have for president right now, and a lot of people don't see their viewpoints reflected in those two people. Um, and so it can feel like nobody is listening. And so in addition to voting actually being hard in some places, um, there's also the idea that people don't feel like voting is always the way to get your voice heard. And I think there are some real limitations to voting. I just read this quote from Ta-Nehisi Coates that's, voting is civic hygiene, both essential and insufficient. And voting alone has never been enough to protect anything, least of all the vote itself. And so it is a behavior that I want everybody to do. I love voting. I think everybody should vote. I would encourage everybody to think of a reason why it is important for them to vote. But at the same time, it's kind of like the bare minimum. And then there's a lot of engagement that needs to happen above and beyond voting. Because again, the right to vote was guaranteed for everybody 100 years before protests were taking place in Selma, before people had to be beaten for the right to get that right that they already had <laughs> to vote. And so thinking about, you know, why didn't those people just peacefully protest and just try to vote and maybe they would have given them the right to vote. Like that's not always an effective way to work. If you're w working within the system, you cannot achieve the ends that you want to because the system is not partial to drastic change, right? It's very slow, steady progress, hopefully, but it's not a system that is going to make a drastic change overnight. And so, you know, I think about the conversations we're having now that are so far from conversations that we might have been having a few years ago about Black Lives Matter, about defunding the police. That might have never happened through voting. Our presidential candidates are kind of in the middle for the most part, because they have to appeal to a broad swath of people. And I think voting on itself does not bring about that radical type of change that I think people are now hoping for and working for. Um, that takes something outside of the system. It can't happen within the system. So I think it's a balance. We should vote because it is important, it is essential. But I think in terms of changing the conversation and bringing about broader changes, there needs to be other protests, other types of work happening to make that possible. Yeah, exactly. I really like those points that you brought up. I especially really liked when you said that voting is really important and it's definitely a way to bring about change for sure. It's not the only way though. And that's what I love about the Black Lives Matter movement in specific because that's so relevant to now, is that there's so many different ways that people are showing up to do this work. And that's what I really find interesting about it, is that there's not even one or two ways to show up and protest. Like, there's so many different ways to be a part of this movement, and voting is definitely, definitely one of those things. But I like how you brought up that there has to be a variety and a diverse way of you know bringing about this radical change because people are so diverse and so there can't just be like one or two ways of bringing about change that doesn't reflect how people inherently are we are all diverse we all have different ways of approaching things different ways of speaking up about things or maybe if you're not comfortable speaking up maybe you do things just through your actions you know like donating or other ways too so 
I really like that point that you brought up for sure. Yeah, I'm excited about the moment we're in. It's also a very heavy, hard time, but I think seeing mutual aid groups pop up and people caring for each other in a new way, we are seeing that civic engagement means a lot of things and being engaged in your community can take a lot of different forms. And like, yes, voting is a piece of that, but like you said, like there are a diverse set of ways that you can support your community and um, be a part of making change right now. Yeah, exactly, for sure. And so what are some other aspects for listeners to know about voting? I know you mentioned a little bit already about why it's important to vote, but if you want to add anything on to that already, why do you think it is important to vote? And then also for listeners who may be apprehensive or on the fence about voting, because like you mentioned also, the election a lot of people don't agree with the political candidates and the choices. So that's why I've heard a lot of people say, especially in the last election with the 2016 election, and then also with this election too, a lot of people are like, we don't like either candidate. So why would we vote for either one? So what would you say to listeners who may be feeling on the fence about that because they feel like the candidates don't reflect their values and if you have anything else to add on why it's important to vote. So I 100% get the cynicism and not wanting to vote right now for either of the presidential candidates. But what I have tried to think about is, you know, I'm a white woman. I am very privileged. My choice to sit out voting for a candidate for president would hurt more people than myself, right? I, you know, I will continue to be a white woman in either world with either of the candidates as president. And that is a very privileged spot to be in. But I think if I choose not to vote, there is one candidate who has demonstrably hurt a lot of people who are not white people. Um, You know, he has hurt people from Muslim backgrounds, immigrants coming through the southern border from a variety of countries, it's hurt LGBTQTA people, you know, like there are a variety of people who will be hurt by my decision to sit out. So I think that's part of my inspiration is thinking about the people I love and the people who are not in as privileged of a situation as I am um, and voting, not because I love either of the candidates, but because one of the candidates will hurt and has hurt a lot of people. And I think the other piece is there are so many other reasons besides the president. Um, I think part of my political education over the past few years has been really diving into the local elections because there is so much more at stake and there are candidates who are very closely aligned with what I believe in, in our city, in our state, and who are making really radical change happen in Illinois and in Chicago. Um, So looking at You know, our state's attorney, Kim Fox, has been really changing the criminal justice system, trying to eliminate cash bail. My state representative was part of the coalition pushing to raise the minimum wage. He was part of the push to legalize marijuana and to put provisions into that bill to help expunge marijuana convictions and to guarantee job opportunities for people from communities that have been hurt by the war on drugs. And so, yes, the presidential candidates maybe I don't perfectly align with them, but there are so many races closer to home that 
can make really tangible difference in my community and in the lives of people who live around me and me. But I get it. I get that people are cynical. I get that they feel that maybe change has not happened. And I understand that, but also think like it is important to still say your piece, to still have your voice. Um, and in this instance, your vote is your ability to have a voice. And so I would say, yeah, the system has failed people <laughs> for hundreds of years, but it's never going to change if we don't try at least to do the bare minimum of voting and showing up for that election. And so I think thinking about why this matters either to you or why it could matter to other people in your life is what helps me get motivated. Um, and so I would ask listeners who are feeling apprehensive to think about who the people are in their life that could be impacted by this election and to think about whether it's worthwhile to them to vote to support those people and to help make their lives better. That was very real. I appreciate that a lot. I think that was a very powerful message for sure. Um, and I really resonated with it because I was raised by immigrants from South Asian, like South Asian culture. And in our culture, we really value community over autonomy and the individual. But then in America, I was also born and raised here. And that's the opposite. Like Western culture really values independence and the individual and thinking about yourself and putting yourself first. And I think there's pros and cons to both coming from a culture that values community, but then also valuing yourself as well. So it's always been difficult for me to balance the two because I, was, I've, I had to. I was born and raised here, so I had to develop that. But then I also was raised by my parents with those values, so I had to balance the two. And I think that was definitely came with its challenges, but one thing it taught me is what you just mentioned, is that how it's not always about me. Like sometimes I feel like a lot of people, especially like in Western culture, are like, well, it's not affecting me, so why should I care, right? That's mm -hmm. that autonomy, like individual self coming out, which is cool, but like you just mentioned, you have to think about your community and your neighbors and people around you that are really close to you and how things are affecting them too, because like we have been talking about, we're all so different and diverse and our experiences reflect that too. So just because you personally haven't experienced something doesn't mean your neighbor or other community members haven't experienced that same thing. So I, I really liked that message that you brought up. So thank you for bringing that up. For sure. And I think like you said earlier, people say like, oh, just go vote. Why, why aren't you just going to vote? Just do it. And I think that argument goes at the autonomy piece of Americans and is like, you know, you can do, just go do this. It's this simple thing. Or then people who are not voting feel like they're being told what to do and then they're resistant and say, you can't tell me what to do. I don't have to vote if I don't want to vote. And so I think uh, part of my organizing work in Wisconsin in 2018 was all around the why. So it's not just telling people to vote. It is giving them the tools to know how to register, how to get to the polls. But it's also like, what is the reason behind why you're voting? And I think that speaks to the community piece of you can't just tell people to do it or you can't try to force them to vote. What you can do is have a conversation with them about like, this is why I vote and these are the things that matter to me. 
what are the things that matter to you and why might it be worthwhile to show up at a polling place or to request your mail-in ballot? Not because you're being forced to, but because there are legitimate reasons, there are people that are affected by this decision. Yeah, I really like that idea. Like if you are listening and you feel kind of resistant to voting because people are telling you to, I can relate to that because I'm a type of person that doesn't like to do what people tell me to do. It has to come from within me. So if you can relate to that and you're listening, especially when it comes to voting, I really like that idea that you brought up is like, just reflect with yourself. Ask yourself that question. Well, forget about what other people are saying. What's important to me, you know? And who are the people in my life that I care about that are going to be impacted by this decision? I really like that. So if you got to like reflect on it, like however you choose to, for me, I like to journal if you want to journal about it or just like a lot of people think in the shower, whatever you need to do to reflect on that. I really think that's a good idea for everyone to do. Yeah. And then talk to your friends and family. If you have friends and family who don't want to vote or who haven't voted before, same thing, do your reflection and then take that to the people in your life who might be struggling with this right now and talk to them about it and just have an open conversation because I think that that is the way that you change people's opinions about voting and why it might matter. Exactly, yeah, like reflection, then having conversation and then implementing it into your action. I think those are like three steps that we both kind of highlighted on which i really really like and also i know we've mentioned some things before we have resources in the episode notes but if you have anything else to add on how we can quote unquote vote smarter Mm -hmm. so i think the first thing if people request a mail-in ballot i think it can be really helpful i've never done absentee ballot before but i'm doing it this year Um, so they're going to mail a ballot to my house and then I just have to get it back within you know, the three or four weeks that I have it. And I think that'll be helpful for me for the first time to sit down and just be able to see all of the things I'm voting for. For the past few years, I have used Ballotpedia and Ballot Ready, both of which I put in the notes, that you can look up your ballot based on your address, and then it'll give you information about all of the offices that you're voting for and all of the candidates, and you can compare them side by side before you go to the polling place. And like I said, I've been trying to learn more about the local races and really understand, you know, my representatives, my state senators. There are always a million judges you have to vote for in Chicago. And most of those judges are pretty good. Um, But this past election, I was looking up, some of them are, you know, they're not recommended by certain bar associations. They have no experience. They have had like really troublesome interactions with people in court. And so being able to see that information and take down notes before I go into the polling place has been really helpful to me to be more informed and not just randomly check yes or no for 50 different judges. Um, And so I would recommend using those two websites, Ballotpedia and Ballot Ready. Um, And especially if you get a mailed ballot this year, sit down, look through it research each of the races because again the more local a candidate or an office is the more of a direct impact it can have on your everyday life and so it's important to be as invested if not more invested in those races than in president senator which are often much more removed from your everyday life 
Exactly. Yeah. And we can literally, I'm sure wherever you're from in the States, you can see that how local politicians can really, really play a role in the way change is being brought about. I know I can speak, we both can speak from living in the city of Chicago with the mayor currently, Lori Lightfoot. That could be like a whole different podcast, but <laughs> we <laughs> we definitely see that like nowadays. So like I, I remember like when that was going on, I didn't know. I, I thought it was a good idea. So I was like, yeah, but then now I'm like, shit, maybe I really should have looked into this more before I voted for this person. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's hard to know because people can brand themselves and spin their ads a certain way. And so I think that's part of why those two websites can be helpful is they can give you like the track record of the person to see if it matches up with what they're saying they did. And then, yeah, just doing research and, and hearing things out. But, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, right? Like there, there are a lot of people who maybe feel they made the wrong decision and hopefully you know we've got another election in a few years that they can be invested in and hopefully change things yeah definitely for that podcast (laughs) that could be that could be a whole episode in and of itself Uh Um, but thank you for sharing those resources those are awesome uh definitely going to include that in the episode notes so check those out And I know we also were talking about how you work with youth as well. Uh, We briefly mentioned that in the beginning of the conversation. So I kind of want to dive into that a little bit now and wrap up our conversation just talking about youth and voting as well. So why is it important for youth to vote? It is important, one, because the first time you can vote, you can like start developing that habit. And so I think like getting in that habit early is huge um, because then you'll continue on hopefully voting in every election. Um, But really the biggest thing to me is they have to live with the outcomes of all of these elections for the longest time. Um, So thinking about the big issues right now, I think among youth, climate change, the cost of education and student loans, healthcare, all of those things are going to continue to impact their lives for decades to come um, and will have a, I think, pretty drastic impact on their quality of life and on the choices they're able to make. Um, Even just seeing when I graduated from college, um, Obamacare hadn't been passed yet. And so I had to find healthcare. I had to find a job that provided healthcare. And I know a lot of my friends just took jobs that maybe didn't align with their interests or were not great jobs because they needed the healthcare. Um, And then Obamacare had passed by the time my younger brother graduated from college. And to see how many options that opened for him and for people his age, because they weren't forced to take a job that maybe was not what they were looking for because it provided healthcare. And so they're not small, they're like very tangible impacts that they can have on your quality of life and on the choices you're able to make. Um, and thinking about if we had more access to healthcare, if we did something about the cost of education or if student loans were lessened, that can open up so many opportunities for people. Um, and so young people, I hope are invested because those things will impact their life. And particularly with climate change, like we have to get this right right now. And um, I know that's a huge issue with younger voters 
And so having that say, having that stake in the election will hopefully impact their lives the most. And then two, I think millennials and Gen Z in this election make up the largest voting bloc in the country. So together, we are 37% of all eligible voters. And right now, it is extremely frustrating because politicians cater their messages to older voters. So it's about Social Security. It's about Medicare. Because older voters show up and are a reliable voting bloc. And so if young people show up in strength at the polling places, if we show up and make an impact with the amount of votes we cast, we can change who they're catering their messages to. And so I think it's important for young people to vote because we can change the conversation and make politicians respond to us instead of older people who have drastically different opinions about a lot of things from younger voters. And so I hope this election that young people show up, which I think they've been doing. They have been out in the streets this summer. They've been organizing. Um, I know so many young people I work with have been encouraging people to fill out the census, getting their friends registered to vote. And so I am hopeful that young people show up to vote because we want the conversation to be about the things that we care about. And we're able to make that the conversation if we show politicians that they have to answer to us. Exactly. I think th those are all really powerful points. And especially kind of circling back to when we talked about earlier, how we all have such diverse experiences, especially in so many different areas. But if we're just talking about age alone, like the different generations have experienced different things and climate change has always been relevant, but I feel like the newer generations now, uh, Gen Z, millennials, and then I think the, the generation after Gen Z, which I'm forgetting what they're called. <laughs> but you know, the, the youth right now are really, really experiencing climate change. Like it's literally in their face now. And these are all like repercussions from future generations that maybe didn't take the right precautions necessary um, for climate change to get to the place where it's at now. So now like youth are being born into this world that's literally dying. So um, I think that's a really important point because if you do come from a generation that's experienced something different than an older generation, you would want that experience to be reflected in your voice and showing up too. I think that's really important. And especially since we mentioned in the beginning too how a lot of youth voices are not even included or incorporated in conversations itself. So if you are a youth and you do have access to voting and you are eligible to vote, please do so because, you know, we need that. We, we need your voice to be heard too. So I like those points you brought up. Yeah, I was just thinking, I was at a rally with students earlier this year with Joe Biden and he took questions from the audience. We had a bunch of young people come and show up and pack the audience and so it was probably split it was probably like half 18 year olds and half all people of all different ages but mostly skewing older and at the end he didn't take any questions i think from all of the young people but they were all sitting on one side of the this room and at the end he just turned to them and was like we have to fix climate change like we have to do something about this and 
in the moment, I was like, ugh, of course, he like is trying to pander to the young people. But now thinking about it, having young people in that space forced him to talk about climate change in a way that he would not otherwise have addressed it. And so thinking about the election like that, like if we show up and we take up the space that we have, we can force them to turn around and like actually address the issues that we care about and to not just speak to us as though, you know, they, they don't have to put action behind their words, but to actually like address these issues that we care about if we're in the room and if we're making our voices heard. Yeah, that's a really, really, really cool story. I'm really glad that you shared that. I feel like it's super relevant to everything that we're discussing and just really highlights the points that we just made, you know, about how if we are in their face, if we're there, not necessarily in their face, but if we are, you know, visible, then definitely like if when you look out into a crowd as any public speaker and you see the faces there you automatically have to try to put yourself in their shoes and be like okay what would what would these faces like what would they want to hear and so i think that that just really captures the the points that we just made too so also i know that you do have a lot of experience working with youth uh, especially with talking about voting and the voting process and encouraging and informing them on how that whole process works and how they can get more involved. What are some methods that you have found to be effective in encouraging and informing youth to get involved with voting? Mm -hmm. I think the first thing is that voting is a social act. So we do it because it's part of being a part of our community. Um, People are shown to vote more when they know that their neighbors know if they voted. So having to go to the polling place, seeing your neighbors is a big part of it. And so I think knowing young people love being social and capitalizing on that and encouraging people to go with friends to develop a group. You know, so if you're hoping to get a young person in your life to vote, I think the first thing you can do is like go through the steps with them and, you know, help them register or share how they get registered going to the polling place with them, helping them request their mail-in ballot. Youth voters don't struggle just because they're not interested. It's because it's their first time doing it. And so it's a new process. They might not be familiar with the steps to take or where to go. And so having another person or a group that's supporting each other and getting it done is, I think, a super effective way to ensure that they actually follow through on those steps. I think a lot of people dismiss young people with social media, but the things that kids are doing with social media is amazing. And it's not like you can just make a TikTok video and say like, oh, this TikTok video is going to tell people to vote and that's going to solve everything. But I think you can really get word out about a lot of information through social media and having young people help. So I've been doing like some voting posts and trying to get out word about recruiting election workers and like having young people that I know help me put together posts is a huge help. Um, And so trying to just put word out, give people reminders on the steps, help them go through those steps together and talking again about what are the reasons you vote and talking to young people about the reasons like that they may be motivated or may not be motivated to vote and helping encourage them to just reflect on what matters to them and Yeah, I think, again, just helping them know the steps and going with them in whatever way they decide to vote is a huge piece of encouraging them. 
Yeah, exactly. I really like how you brought up social media because social media is so powerful. And we've seen that, especially with this coming election and just everything going on with the Black Lives Matter movement and the pandemic. How I remember those a specific example that really stands out to me. So I think Trump was having one of his rallies or something a few months ago, and then a bunch of TikTok influencers started posting about how you could reserve a spot but then not be there. So like, but they ended up doing that, and they really, they really did it. And like, the I think like most of his rally was like just blank chairs, like empty chairs, because. These TikTok influencers really made that happen and spread that message just using TikTok, which is like a 15 second video clip. That's it. So I, I really like how you bring that up. And like, especially working with youth myself, I've learned that regarding youth voice, it's really important to include that for many reasons. One of the main reasons is because youth listen to youth. Mm -hmm. So I think that's really cool. And we can see that through these social media influencers. Like the youth are literally listening to the other youth influencers that are out there posting about this stuff. Yeah. For a lot of this stuff, it's like, we just have to get out of the way. Like provide the resources and then let them take it. Because technically, I think I'm included in millennials. I don't, I don't even know. I am 35 years old. I am not young. Um, <laughs> but... <laughs> I think like, you know, demographically people are like, oh, you're like younger, you would know how to talk to youth. But I am removed from their reality and I, I don't understand what it is like to grow up in a world with TikTok, with social media. Uh, that was not my life when I was 16 years old. And so I think for a lot of this, like I love the information or like the infographics that have become really big this summer. Um, I think that's a great way to share information. So I've been doing infographics of like here's how you register or here are the deadlines but then just like letting the young people lead with that information like share the information and then they will do some amazing tiktok video tiktok dance they'll talk to their friends they're like organizing registration drives they're handing out food in their communities this summer like they're doing amazing work and so i think for a lot of this it's just like handing them some of the tools that they'll need to get to the polls and then letting them come up with the strategies and they'll help their friends, I think, get, get to the polls, get people out to vote. Um, but just encouraging and offering support where we can is how I, as an old lady, try to help. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love, I love that, that point that you brought up of like stepping up and then stepping back. Like knowing when to step up and help and support and share resources and inform the youth. Like here, here are the things that y'all need to know. But then knowing when to step back to and trust that they will run with it in whatever way that works for them. Because you're right. Like even me, like I'm 24. So I feel like I'm a little bit more, I was a little bit more closer in age range to the youth that the adolescents age range but even when i was working with adolescents i was finding some discrepancies too i was like there's a lot of things that y'all know and have experienced that i also don't know or like the, the lingo or some things i would have to like catch on to so you're right like we don't know their experience um especially the younger generation so i think that's the biggest thing i feel like a lot of adults who work with youth have that problem with the trust like okay now go fly free so I, I think that's a good point you bring up too. It goes again to like the autonomy versus community, right? Like 
again, if you're an adult, like an older adult, right? Because a lot of these first time voters, they'll be 18, they're technically adults. Um, but like older people, again, want to tell them how to do it or, you know, kind of like be authoritative about how to go about voting. A, I think young people like have a much more communal view of life or just have an openness of their mind. Like this generation, I think, are wonderful and just how open they are to a diversity of experiences, to being empathetic to other people, I think is very different from how it was when I was a teenager. And I think they have really strong communities um, and want to support their community. And so not trying to take their autonomy and not trying to like tell them how to do things, but giving them the information and trusting that they want to help each other and that they will work in community to get these things done is huge. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's a really important point to highlight. And I, I feel like there's like so much to say on this topic. Like well, there's a lot of things to talk about, but I really like the points that we hit on today and the conversation that we had. I feel like it was a very powerful one and very informative as well. So if you have any last concluding thoughts that you want to leave with the listeners, I would love to hear it. I think the biggest things are that the election is, so it's like 55 days from right now. So the election is eight weeks away. It's coming up pretty quickly. Um, and so I would encourage everybody to check the deadlines where they live. If you're in Chicago or in Illinois, like request your mail ballot right now um, and make sure that you have a plan for how you are going to vote this year um, because the election is going to be here before we know it. And I think have that time to reflect about why this is an important act for you. Talk with your friends and family about their plans and why they might want to vote this year um, and help give them those resources they may need to get to the polls. And the other thing is, if you're healthy and able to, you should apply to be a poll worker because there is a huge shortage um, because a lot of our poll workers are elderly people. Um, so in Chicago, you can go to shypollworker.com and I think I gave the link to Sonia. And so if you are able to be a poll worker so that you can make sure this election runs well, you get paid. But really like stay on top of the deadlines, check with your friends if they are registered, if they have a plan to vote. And hopefully we can make this election impactful and make sure that people in power start listening to younger voices and take us seriously. Yes, exactly. I think those were all great points. So thank you for those concluding thoughts. And lastly, where can people find you um, on social media or, or anywhere else? Where can people find you best? I can be found on Instagram at sparks underscore votes. The last name is sparks, S-P-A-R-K-S underscore votes. Like what I hope you are going to do this November. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. It's like simple, short, to the point, gets the message across. I love that. <laughs> thank you for sharing that. And thank you again, uh, Kristen, for being here and for having this conversation with me. I really appreciate all your insight and all the things that you shared. So thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me and thank you for talking about voting and hopefully encouraging more people to be engaged and uh, make an impact this November 3rd.
As always, I thank you for listening and staying tuned. If you like this episode, feel free to share it with the people in your life. I would also really appreciate if you would subscribe to Synergy Cast on whatever podcast platform you prefer. Give it a five-star rating and leave a good review mentioning what you like about the podcast. You can also follow the Instagram for updates, at SynergyCast, and I have also included that in the episode notes. I have now a new feature, which is a voice memo feature, which I am very excited about. So if you would like to send in your thoughts and your feelings or your personal experiences, feel free to record a voice memo and send it my way. I would love to include your voice in the next podcast episodes. Lastly, if you are willing and able, there is another new feature where you can donate however much money you want to help support Synergy Cast financially. If you do choose to donate, the money would help me pay for several things. It would help me pay for myself, my own energies, my own efforts, and also the money would help pay my future guests especially people of color, for their time, since I believe it is very important to compensate people of color, especially for their time and energy, since many BIPOC, which stands for Black, Indigenous, and People of Color, have a history of being taken advantage of and underpaid or not paid at all for their efforts. So any and all ways you choose to support would be very much appreciated. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for more episodes coming your way soon. Stay safe, everyone, and take care.